Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. The second part of my interview with Bobby Baseball 321 on Instagram. Again, not his real name. He really initialized this. We did the origin so you could have some context, but he started off with an American card catalog question, which I was not around <laughs> originally, but I have secondhand knowledge, I suppose, more than most people about cataloging and price guides and how things were done back in the day. We started off with that and went just back and forth and really got into how we have some similarities in the way we collect. Thanks for sharing your story. And thanks, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hogs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Bobby. I look forward to seeing you at the National. The first question you had was, why is T205, which postdates T206, why would the order which Jefferson Burdick established, what was the basis of that? And have you read anything about that? Because I wasn't there, but I've studied Burdick and I've had American card catalog for a long time. And I don't know that it's explained there, but some of the naming conventions he used back in the day, chronology was a big part of it. But the problem with some of those T issues, and especially with T206, T206, one of the reasons I wanted to make sure we dealt with this is that T206 is affectionately called the monster. It's almost not even a set. In an alternative universe with a different Jefferson Burdick, it could be several sets mm-hmm. based on backs in the way we would do it now. They would be parallels almost or things like that. And so he was one that grouped them all together and turned it into a monster that you've got these different backs, you've got even different cigarette brands, all American tobacco. And the other problem that I think bothered him but he had to resolve it, is that the T206s were produced over more than one year. Now, I don't know that he knew that. I think he was a kid around that time. I think he was born around the turn of the century. And so he may have been one of these kids that got some cigarette cards. But to know as a kid that they came out in 1909 and 1910 and 1911, I don't know that was fully known. So it might be that he considered both of them 11 sets because that was maybe his memory. Do you know when he did the chronology? Because I know he had that place at the Met toward the end of his life, right? Where he was doing some of the labeling. But no, it was before that. It was, it was well before that? Is that right? It was in his American card catalog. And that started in 39 or something like that. There were several. There was one in 46 and 53. or he did Every seven years or so, he did a new. But the nomenclature was, I think, right at the beginning. Anyway, my point is, I think he was chronological and alphabetical which makes sense. But the chronology, I think, if it's not well-established, because we didn't have the internet, most of his knowledge was based on firsthand or secondhand dealing with the few, but very passionate collectors of the day who were icons. He's not the only one that was just prolific and very helpful to others. But I've heard the theory that T205 or gold border, G, and T206 are white border. And so G comes before W. Mm, 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 I, I, some credibility to that because at best it's a tie you've got two sets that came out both in 1911 if you look at the 1909 t206 should be before so that's right i did the same thing when i was doing these price guide books i had to figure out again with american card catalog in mind on some of the older sets you have to figure out what's the sequence of sets so that somebody can find it they'll know what it's called they'll know where to look so we decided to call 1933 Gaudi, not R319, but 
just 1933 Gaudi. Now, we'd mentioned that, yes, this is R319 in the American card catalog. Burdick's nomenclature, the letter indicates the type of issue, and then the number being sequential, again, alphabetical or chronological. What do you think happened in the physical world? So if you take whatever the top, right? So the T206 or the T205, which one do you think was literally produced and printed first? I know there's a three-year period on the T206s, but which one actually was produced first? Even? My guess is that T206s were produced first. Yeah. And the T205s, again, I'm applying my business mind to it. I'm thinking T206s had to be very popular because there's so many of them out there. And they're already doing it for a couple of years. And then gold borders have to be a more premium product, adding some expense to it. Uh, so my sense is that T205s came out second because it, it was proven. Not that the T206s were a test market because there were old judges. There were cigarette pack stiffeners before that. The other thing that's not mentioned that much is that the American Tobacco Company also was a conglomerate. And they owned all those brands. And they were so powerful and so dominant that they were trust busted. I think your theory or your point that T205s came out after is also supported by the look of the players. Actually, some of them just look a little bit older. Your point about fines, the excitement, the resurgence of the hobby during COVID probably got a lot of people really looking back in their basements and attics and all that. Most of the fines or the vast majority you would think have made their way into the world at this point. Now, with the economy turning... We may see more cards come into market because people want to liquidate, but but fines, I don't know. What's your sense for more fines out there? The, fi- the collection that you've described to me is exceptional, but it, it's more exceptional now than it would have been 50 years ago. 50 years ago, there were, I won't say lots of guys that had all the tops and all the Bowmans and all the play balls and all the Gowdies and, and not all the T26s because there aren't enough Wagners to go around. <laughs> things. But there were a lot of collectors that had complete sets. That's how they collected in those days. To do it now, Bobby, my hat's off to you because it's really hard now. So roundabout way of saying the fines are not going to be the attic find. It's going to be somebody's grandfather at a collection that had it established 50 years ago, put it away or something. And now he's 90 or something and he passes away and the family goes, what are we going to do about this? That stuff still happens. So the fines are going to be finding collectors hordes not non-collectors hordes that's why some of the auction houses i guess i could say this i'm not throwing any one of them under the bus and i'm not talking about my sponsors but there were some auction houses that made a point of contacting older individuals yeah. <laughs> just letting the spouses know and everybody know hey when the time comes we stand ready in fact we'll bring a truck you won't have to do anything and it wasn't just one auction house and so they have on speed dial it's like people checking the obis and they got a collection it'd be interesting to see which auction house got there first but anyway i think that's where the fines are going to come and so for you and me if we're not an auction house person i think that's going to be that intermediate step There isn't an Alan Rosen anymore, not the Mr. Mint thing. It's the auction houses, and they will take control of it, and they may push things different ways. In some ways, that's a beautiful thing in the sense that the collections will make their way back to the hobby and hopefully younger collectors. At the end of the day, we're not keeping any of this stuff, right? We're moving on, so we're sort of guardians of it for whatever period of time. It's the ecosystem, but what you're describing, Bobby, is that you are an apex predator. (laughs) 
because you're able to uh, get what you want. It needs to be available, and it needs to be available in a fair way, and you have a good chance to win it. You have some interests that are similar to everybody else, but then some things based on your experience and knowledge you're going for. That's what I try to go for. I try to go for things that are not being hyped, marketed, and, and discussed. If it's not being talked about, that's what I'm interested in. If it's already being talked about and touted, then it's already bid up. I still may want it, but and I tell people, you can't just do that without the knowledge. You have to know the reason you haven't seen something is not because nobody cares. It's because there are not very many of them. That's right. You have to enjoy it too. One of the guys at the local car shop put me onto the idea of retired numbers. I started doing the research. I'm thinking, wow, this is folks like obviously Jackie, but it's all the way to folks we've never heard of and to rediscover that player and look at a video of him having his number retired and have the rookie card which is in some cases a two dollar card is just so much fun because you get both the completionist side of you and the kind of baseball nostalgia both modern and uh, vintage in there some of these themes and narratives that you're espousing are museum worthy whether they're by the team or by the player or by the concept but the baseball hall of fame has revolving shoebox treasure kind of things. Are, are you interested in that? I kind of am not because of my cards. I don't really want to have a traveling exhibit of my cards, but how does that resonate with you? I haven't thought about it much. I do think that it should be more prominent at some of these museums. I went to the Met to see the little Burdick exhibit they had, and it was so far in the back in the little corner. It just really wasn't tied to where popular culture is. You have to walk through so many different exhibits to get there, many of which are just not that interesting to people these days who are into sports and, it, and the it, other things we're into. It, probably it's been plundered. It's a lot of uh, items missing from the decades where that collection was accessible, was too accessible. And so now it's inaccessible and shrunk and protected. That's disappointing. If it was there in its original, again, he had the stamp hinge things for some of that stuff. And yet if the whole collection as it was in 1963 were intact and were there, you could have spent a month there. You'd have to put it all under glass. I've seen a metal detector, but I've been thinking, I need a cardboard detector. <laughs> Maybe get one of your brilliant guys to figure out what would a cardboard detector be. So they they walk out with any cardboard. You could put chips in the graded cards, but just for a raw card, he walks out with it, yeah, the beeper goes off. Yeah. Uh, one day, who knows, maybe do something museum like it's, it's fun to show off your collections because you're proud of putting them together. So whatever medium, whatever method of doing that exists. Yeah. Yeah. Show online, Instagram. Well, maybe we have the same problem. And I'm not going to blame my wife, but she says, if somebody wants to come see your collection right now, they have to come to your house, which is our house. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better if it was in a different place where they could go? And so do you have that same thought? I have that thought. Probably not. You've really got to screen the people that you're going to invite to come in. Yeah. Not in the near term, to your question. Maybe at some point later, in a museum kind of environment, maybe with a bunch of other collectors, you pull together, curate an interesting set of collections that show the history of the hobby from over 100 years ago to today, how it's matured, the different ways of collecting from players to rainbows to autographs, all these things. I think it would be very intriguing for folks to go visit something like that. When folks get later on in life and want to share their collections, they'll sell their collection through a heritage or an auction house. That is their unveiling of the collection. The catalog will be right. dedicated to them. I have several friends that have done that, I and mean, it's part of the deal. They want to have their own little section of the catalog, 
and sometimes they're near death, and so they don't get to enjoy it very long, but at least they know that their cards, they're being seen and get in the hands of somebody that really appreciates it. Big picture, it's been interesting to watch this kind of COVID surge and the more leveling that's happening right now. And obviously, a lot of the people that came in from a lot of different other parts of business or flipping, whatever it may be, I think many have stayed. But What's your sense for once all of this sort of settles, let's say two, three years down the line and the economy gets to a new normal of sorts? If you have to guess, by what percentage in terms of people, human beings in the hobby, will we have taken it off? If the hobby were to grow 25% a year in terms of the number of collectors, that's what is required approximately to get a 10x number of collectors over 10 years which is, I think, what fanatics, the biggest force in our industry, if they really are all in to do that, then they need to grow 25% a year. That's probably too aggressive. We grew more than that. Your company may grew more than that. But to do that for 10 years, we did more than that for seven years. And it was very straining. It's hard to keep your corporate culture. So fanatics, I hope they can grow at 10x. But what that really means is 25% a year. Okay, Even if it was 10% a year, that's still excellent growth in a category that's hot enough now that you could see that happening. I'm not talking about prices going up 10% a year. I'm talking about 10% more collectors a year. You're going to have maybe more than 10% more cards. Even if the prices stay the same, they won't stay the same. Some things are going to go up and some things are going to go down. That's the new reality. But if there's more collectors, and which would mean more dollars coming in the category, it's going to be great. Your Wagner, a Wagner's never been sold for less than what it was bought for. I don't think that's why you did it. But any glamour card really recognizes a goat is probably, again, the recipe is you need to have a reasonable economy, confidence in America, much less the world. Um, And if there's more collectors coming in, if that increases demand and supply of that stuff is not going up, supply of Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson and even LeBron James. The guys that are still playing, it goes up every year of good cards. It's not just adding base cards. They're adding other autographed, game-used, quality. They call it museum quality. There's museums of modern art. I'm more of an old master guy than a vintage guy. 